0: Good morning. It's a blessing to be here with you all this morning and have the opportunity to spend this time with you at a couple beautiful songs to prepare our hearts for worship and to enter uh, our time looking at the Word of God. Hallelujah. He is worthy. I'd like to thank you all on behalf of our family for inviting us down to South Florida for this past week. It's been a blessed time for us. Thank you for, uh, I know many of you may not have known we were here uh, but um, our understanding was uh, you all invited us down as a, a gift and a ministry to us. Um, we spent a few years in Moldova. Um, some of you may remember us from 2017. We passed through and shared during our furlough. Uh, we came home about 14 months ago on a longer-term stay. Not really sure how the Lord was directing us, but he gave us some clear direction that we needed to come home for a while and uh, address the needs of our family and our growing children. So we've been home up in the Raleigh area, and uh, we're continuing to pray for Moldova. The Lord keeps uh, continuing to do beautiful things there and uh, has opened up some opportunities for me to possibly go back on a short-term basis and stay connected. So we appreciate your prayers in that regard. Um, but um, it, it's been a time and a season of refreshment for us, and it's been a special week for us being down and spending time with some of your folks and uh, just being refreshed by the Lord. So thank you for that opportunity. I would like on behalf of my family to wish you all a very blessed holiday season. It, it is a beautiful time of the year for us, and I, I know for me, as a young person, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And so I spent a lot of Christmases uh, without really knowing the heart or the reason of the season, and and yet I loved Christmas. You know, I mean, who wouldn't? You get a couple weeks out of school, you get to, you know, relax at home, there's a nice smelling pine tree in your house and fire in the fireplace and and, and presents, just loads and loads of presents. And 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 whether you, you know, as a young person, the story was Santa Claus, or it was mom and dad, or grandma and grandpa, or whoever. You didn't really care all that much, as long as there were presents, right? I mean, bundles of them under the tree, and I and I just remember, like, whatever else is going on, as long as I sort of muster up some good behavior for the last couple of weeks before Christmas and turn in my list, I'm going to get everything on my list. And and you know it's uh, it, for me certainly I recognize that um, it, it was better for me to receive than to give. I loved getting presents. I didn't think a whole lot about generosity or what was going on around me. I was a present counter. I wanted to make sure that my brother didn't get any more than me. <laughs> and I and I loved to receive. And you know uh, we live in a culture now. Where Christmas is very much that, that same way. I mean, we look at our world and the whole world's going crazy over Christmas. As soon as the turkey's eaten, you wake up the next day and everybody's shopping and the Christmas tree stands are everywhere and people are, are the hustle and bustle and decorations and lights and shopping, shopping, shopping and presents, presents, presents. And, and many people pass through this season and and go through all of the external rituals and traditions of the holiday without ever even considering the person of Jesus Christ the reason behind it all it's a sad thing and and i'm sure satan loves it right I mean, God, the God of all creation, sent His Son down to the earth for you and I to be born in a humble fashion, to be like us so that He could understand us and so that He could die in our place, walk our dusty roads, die on our cross, uh, this this immaculate, uh, unbelievable, unspeakable event. And Satan would love to turn it into just a holiday where people get a little bit excited for a while and and even genuinely feel this sense of what they would call the Christmas spirit, this this surge of generosity that kind of goes through the world for a little while. All the external trappings, but taking Christmas and turning it into Xmas, the holiday, but with our dear Savior removed. But what about our Christmas? What does it mean to you and I? And, and what I would like for us to do this morning is we're not going to look at a traditional Christmas passage. We're going to look at the passage that God's laid on my heart to share. And we're going to look at the generosity of God. And what I want to challenge each of us to do and how God's been using this passage in my heart is to really consider where my heart is at With the Lord. Christmas Day is not necessarily for us any different than any other day. We have all access to Jesus Christ and God's generosity through Him every moment for the rest of eternity if we're believers in Christ, if we belong to Him. But it is a special season for us. Because we remember what Christ did for us. We recognize that God in His abundance gave us His very most precious gift that He could ever give. And in response to that, we symbolically give gifts to each other as a representation of God's generosity. But it's important that it not be for us like it is for the world, just a burst of emotions, not just living our lives and coming along and then getting really, really warm fuzzies when we see a nativity scene and, 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 and feeling this excitement for a little while. Because in reality, we as believers should be the most generous people on the earth. We should be living our lives in such a way that the spirit of Christmas, the generosity of God is illuminated through us and it affects our world every day. So I want to warn you or challenge you against the Christmas spirit and a season of warm fuzzies and, and a burst of generosity by which then you could go, okay, Christmas was cool, now back to living. Because... Christmas for us should serve as a time of remembrance. And we'll talk about this in conclusion. Not just remembering for the sake of remembering, but purposeful remembrance. It should change us. It should cause us to respond and live differently. So we have an opportunity to reflect on God's generosity to us But as we reflect upon it, it should cause us to look, to to use his generosity as a sort of plumb line against which we measure our own hearts and our own generosity. How are we living in response to the coming of the Christ child? And so that's what I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this passage this morning. And we'll come back around to it full circle. And it's this question. You're going to give a lot of gifts this Christmas. You're going to get a lot of gifts this Christmas. What what have you set aside for Jesus? What do you have for Him this year? We're going to look at one of Paul's letters, uh, 2 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 9. And we'll take a look at verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. But this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and with all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, as we look into your word this morning and we reflect again on how great you are, how gracious you have been to us in giving us the indescribable gift of Christ. We pray that the truth of it may penetrate deep into our hearts, beyond any walls or hardness or bitterness or obstacles, and have its full sway, And as we consider our own hearts before You, Lord, as we come into this season of remembrance, we pray that You would find ourselves ready to give our hearts fully to You, to to live rightly in response to who You are. Thank You, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we we see in this passage is that Paul is giving the Corinthian believers an urging to generosity. Okay, now I want to recognize that this text is given in a very specific context. But what I want to challenge us to look at is that while it's in a specific context, it also has deeper sort of heart matter issues at hand. So the context of this passage is this. About a year prior to this time, Paul has encouraged the Corinthian believers to partake in giving a monetary gift to the poor believers, the struggling believers in the church at Jerusalem. And they, in their zeal and their excitement, hearing of the need, I think, spoke, maybe moved by the Spirit and said, yes, we're going to give. We want to be a part of that. Well, now a year has passed, and it's time... Uh, for Paul to come and collect that gift and have it delivered to the saints in Jerusalem. And I think Paul has some concerns that maybe the Corinthian believers are not going to come through on their generosity. Now we know by context and looking at Paul's interaction with the Corinthians that they were a church that had some some issues as all churches do. Uh, they were very carnally minded. They, they, they were growing in a, in a very worldly setting and they were bringing some of those worldly things into the church. And, and Paul had addressed those things. We read 1 Corinthians and he's coming down in a lot of ways on some of the errors of the church. And, and I'm sure that that felt difficult for the Corinthians to receive. And, and, and if we read on in 2 Corinthians, we see that people in the church have started to say, who's Paul? Why do we need to listen to Paul? I mean, he he talks big in letter, but when he gets here, he's kind of little and insignificant. And they were challenging his authority. And there was a lot going on. So between them making a good-hearted commitment to the Lord and then following through on that in generosity, in pure generosity, something had happened. And Paul's concerned that they're not going to come through on their gift. Now, while it happens in that context and it's dealing with money, I want to challenge us to recognize that the principle goes deeper than that. The principle is really the condition of our hearts. If we looked back in chapter 8, verse 5, we see Paul talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonian believers. And he says of them, if you turn there, just flip back one page, he's talking about their generosity and the model that they had set And he says, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. You see, as believers, we understand what God asks for us. In 1 Corinthians, we hear this challenge that you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Glorify God with your body and your spirit. In Romans 12.1, we hear this great challenge that Paul gives in light of all the beautiful salvific doctrine that we get in the first 11 chapters of Romans. He says, in light of God's goodness, give your body a living sacrifice. It is the right and reasonable response for all God has done for you. You see, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to see His goodness and His generosity and to offer our lives back to Him for His use. And then when we do that, everything that we have becomes God's. It's as if we're saying, God, I'm, I'm giving you all of myself and that includes all of me, so that includes my money. It includes my gifts. It includes my talents. It includes my time, all of my resources, my family, my marriage, all of my heart. We can look at our our financial giving and it will be a symptom of where our hearts are at. We can be generous or stingy with money, but you know what? We can also be generous or stingy with our spiritual gifts. Some of us sit too scared, feeling too insignificant or too busy with other things to say, God, would you take whatever I can offer to the church and use it as a blessing for you? We can do it with our time, all of our resources. We can either be generous or stingy. But the matter is is that it's a state of the heart. And Paul here encourages the Corinthian believers to be, as it says, cheerful givers. First in verse 6 he says, Be bountiful givers. He sets out a simple principle. It's easy for us to understand. You have four or five seeds and you throw them out and you're going to get just a real meager crop in return. But if you throw out thousands of seeds and you scatter them abroad, you're going to get a growth and abundance of harvest that you can't haul in. If you sow sparingly, you're going to get a little. If you sow bountifully, you're going to get a lot back in return. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. Then he also challenges us to give as he purposes in his heart, willingly. He says, not grudgingly or of necessity. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we give of a willing spirit. And then he says, you give cheerfully. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. And the word for cheerful there is the word, the Greek word, is the word that we get our word hilarious from. Okay? That doesn't mean you give and then you fall on the ground in hysterical laughter. Okay? It, it, it carries the idea of... It, it It just stirs you up so much with excitement to give. I sort of picture a kid walking into the, the front gates of Disney World for the first time and, and just the excitement and the joy on their face of just being there. Can you imagine being a person that's so generous that you just, you just give and it just ah, it just stirs you up and it makes you so excited and happy. God loves a cheerful giver, a bountiful, willing, and cheerful giving. And it's a heart matter. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to be cheerful, willing, bountiful givers like Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at me look with me at Acts chapter 20 verse 35. I told you when I was a kid I loved to get gifts. I would have said, "Man, it is much much better to receive than to give. Just give me some presents." I'll buy a few for my parents cause my, you know, for my for my siblings cuz my parents tell me I have to, but I love to to take 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 It's natural in our hearts. But Christ changes all that, doesn't He? Verse 35, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That was Acts 20, verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is an interesting passage. Anybody know where you find it in the Gospels? You don't find it in the Gospels. And Paul quotes it. It's in red in my Bible. It's printed as a quote of Jesus. That means that... And, and Paul didn't walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry, so it, it, it appears that this was a saying that maybe Jesus used often such that those around him in his closest circle heard him say it and then told others that he said it and told others that he said it and Paul heard that he said it such that he's able to quote it here. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus never ever gave or served grudgingly? Jesus never started walking down the hill and saw the crowd of people and turned to his disciples and rolled his eyes. Oh, more people. He loved to give. We see it in the Gospels. He poured Himself out for people. He loved to communicate grace to the needy soul. It inspired Him. It's what He came for. He loved to give. And never did He finish a day of meeting with people and ministering and healing them and turn to His disciples and say, people. If it wasn't for people, ministry would be great. He never said that. He never said it. He never said, you know, they're just not appreciative enough. I give and I give and all they do is take, take, take. No, He continually poured Himself out. He gave and He gave and He gave again. And and you can just picture Jesus. Can't you like having this day of vigorous ministry and the disciples are all worn out and they're hungry and they're wondering what's going on next? How long is this going to go on? And Jesus turns to Him with a smile and He says... Better to give than to receive. Urging, generous giving like Christ's. But friends, I've walked with Jesus over 20 years now. And I recognize that this generosity is not natural in me. And take the songs uh, the words of a rich molean songs it's hard to be like jesus and paul knew that he understood well the state of the fallen man in the book of galatians he would tell us all about the fruit of the flesh tell us about the fruit of the Spirit when we depend on God, but He would tell us about our natural state, who we are without Christ. And one of those characteristics is selfish ambition. We know it. It's in our very nature to take. It's in our very nature to collect and hold on to and not share. For those of you ha- you have small kids you know and understand this you saw it they're learning their words they're they're starting to move in little social circles of play and they've learned mom and dad and bottle and blanket and it doesn't take them long to learn mine Is that right And you look at them and you go wait a minute I didn't teach them that I would never teach them to grasp and say mine, but it's in their heart. It's natural in all of us. And so we cling to things. The world... So Paul is talking to the believers here, and let's go back to the passage. He says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. See, Paul knows that, that there is a giving that can take place that doesn't really reflect the generosity of God. We're all aware of this, right? Give, Don't give grudgingly. The idea of grudgingly is I give, but I don't want to. All right, young people, that's like you... You get a, a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup single serving as a gift. Somebody gives it to you and you're like, oh man, my favorite. And you you whip it open and you're getting ready to eat it and your mom says, wait, your brother doesn't have one. Share that with your brother. Yeah, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't really want to share it with my brother. I want to have it all for myself. But grudgingly, you break it in half. Make sure you choose the bigger half. And you give him grudgingly, not really wanting to let go half of your peanut butter cup. We can give that way. We give, but we really rather hold on to it there 's something else driving us to give, but it 's almost against our will of necessity carries the idea of giving with constraint. Giving with constraints. Something else is motivating you. There's some other motive behind your giving but pure generosity. If you were to read a good book on interpersonal relationships or interpersonal communication, you might help find a whole chapter on the topic of giving and the different things that giving can mean. We we know that again, right? Not all giving is pure. There's there's giving in vainglory. I give because I'm seen giving and I get the praise of men. There's giving for reciprocation. I give because I know I'm going to get something in return for giving. We give for manipulation. We give because it gives us power or influence in a situation when we give. And, and there are more, but those are some of the ways that we can, we can do the external act of giving, but it's not really fueled by the pure generosity of the heart of God. And unfortunately, when we come to Christ, that selfish ambition, that root of desire to have and to possess doesn't die. Christ gives us the ability to have victory over it, but it still lays there dormant, doesn't All these fruit of the Spirit and our old man there ready to rear his head given the opportunity. And you know, we live in a world where it can be difficult sometimes to be generous. I mean, we live in a whole economy, capitalism, that's built upon the idea that, man, you work harder and you get more. And and, and then you work a little harder and you get more. And you sell that house and you buy a bigger house because that house was not big enough. Or it didn't have enough in it, or or you drive this car and you drive it, and it's a perfectly nice car, but when the nibs wear down on the tires, it's too old, so you got to get a new one. And we keep improving, and we keep uh, we're pushed by our culture to have, to excel, to live. Really, in excess is okay. In fact, it's a sign of prosperity and abundance. Sometimes, even in the church. Now, it's not bad for us to have. We know that. God gives us all things to enjoy, but our, be- our, our giving becomes bad when, when we're motivated by that culture more than we're motivated by the culture of Christ. The key for us as believers is not whether we have or don't have. God doesn't call us all to live in, an, in abject poverty. It's whether we're listening to Him. It's whether we're using the gifts that He's given the way that He's given them. Whether He's beckoning us to give more, to be more generous with our resources. We have to be attentive and listen and and willing to follow Christ more than we follow the culture around us. We have to guard against worldliness. And the other issues come... From the reality of us just living in a fallen world. There are things in our world that make generosity sometimes risky. And when we think about generosity in our mind, it goes against our better judgment. You know, some of you, some of us understand this. You go and, 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 and you make a commitment and you give something and the person misuses it. We battle this all the time when we see the beggar on the street. Is it better to give or not give? And in a lot of ways, we can always justify, well, you know, maybe they won't use it right. Maybe they won't appreciate it. Maybe I'll pour out all of my gifting and all of my effort and all of my energies and then I won't get anything in return for it. In fact, sometimes we even get hurt. We get deeply disappointed. We get betrayed and and life... Becomes really difficult. We were generous; we gave, and it ended up costing us much. <coughs> By way of illustration, I just want to tell you a story about my wife and I when, uh, when, when we were young. We'd been married just almost two years, and we had a one-year-old son. Connor was one at that time. We were finishing up in Bible college in West Virginia. And, and God had laid on our hearts a very specific desire. We had just a real strong burden for pro-life ministry. And, and we had it in our hearts that we wanted to live with pregnant girls. We wanted to provide a place for them where they could come. And it would provide a real alternative for them to ha- from having an abortion. And so we began to pray about this and, and you know, we thought, man, we can bring them in and minister the gospel to them and, and model to them godly family and, and just try to really pour the love of God into their lives. Well, God continued to work and bring that vision to pass and we found a ministry in Raleigh that had a, a home that was all set up just for that purpose, waiting for a young eager couple to come in and start bringing girls into the home. So we believed that that was God's direction in our life. So we moved to Raleigh from West Virginia. And when we got there, our time started with this training. And it was like two weeks of just intensive training. And immediately we start going, oh my goodness. I'm not sure that we, we understood exactly what we were getting into. And then we got into the section of the training called tantrum management. This is where you learn how to handle it when girls are yelling at you and throwing pots and pans at you and, and threatening your life. How do you handle it? And we're looking at each other like two deer in the headlights, like what have we gotten into here? But we held our ground. We would made a commitment, and we were going to walk it out. So our first time on duty at the end of that training, the couple that were eventually, they're phasing out while we come in, they're going on a nine day vacation. They haven't had a rest in a while. So we're going on duty 24 seven for nine days straight. Six girls in the home, two of them older than my wife, three or four of them pretty rough, lovely, but rough gals, if you know what I mean. And we go into the home and, and we, we, Plug through this first day, you know, trying to hold our ground, trying to act like we know what we're doing. And man, it was one of the most stressful days of my life. And, and for my wife as well. I don't think we had a chance to really talk all day, but we made it through the day about 10 30 that night. We're in our, back in our little room. The girls are finally upstairs. Connor's in bed in the little pack and play by our bed. And we both fall onto the bed and, and there was whimpering. I don't know if I cried. I don't know if I had any tears. But I, I felt broken. And after a few minutes of us both just laying there, I said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can go back out there tomorrow. I said, let's, let's just leave right now. Maybe we can just go pack and, and, and just get out of here. And, and, and you, you know what? I, we can't go on. But we fell asleep, said a prayer, fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and we did it again. I think there was a little less whimpering the second day. And, you know, God had called us to something. And we'd made a commitment to it. And then when we got into it, we realized, you know what? It's not exactly what we thought it was going to be. This is harder than we expected. Following Christ. Loving ungodly people pouring out our lives, ministering to them, and we don't really know if we have it in us, but we took what little we had, and day by day by day, God gave us grace. And five years later, we looked back on the time when God finally led us away from that ministry, and we could look and say, you know what? It's better to give than to receive. We left more blessed than we came. We received more than we gave. And it was a struggle. It wasn't perfect vessels. It wasn't prepared people. It was just a couple willing kids saying, Lord, we'll do this if it would be a blessing and bring you glory. That happens to all of us sometimes in life, you know? Life is hard. The Christian life is hard. And you know what God asks of us in Romans twelve one Is that that gift... For each of us, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. By that, you will unfold His very, very best plan for you, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's God's desire for you. You know what? There, there are believers that we all see and look at, and we look at their lives, and they, they, they seem to make a confession of Jesus but they don't seem to have ever made that kind of decision. It's almost like, okay, they acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for them, but they go, you know what? But I don't. I, it's not going to change my life. I'm just going to stay right here on the wide path. And 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 good believers who love them and are speaking into their life can look and see you're still on the wide path. You need to get off. You need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to follow. You need to obey. And they don't. I don't think Satan spends a lot of time on those people. He doesn't need to. Because their lives are not glorifying Christ. Who is it that the devil roams about like a roaring, roaring lion seeking to devour? It's those of us who went to Christ and we saw our sin and we felt the burden of it and, and we trusted in Christ and we felt the burden of sin peeled away, taken away. Paid for by the Savior. And, and at some point, whether it be right at that moment we get it, that He's to be Lord of our lives, that He's worth giving our all to, or whether it's at baptism, or whether it's sometime later, we look to Him and we say, Lord, You died for me. You paid my price. You, you, you gave me new life. Now now, everything I have is yours. It's those people who I believe Satan will set his eyes upon because our lives, if we get it, and we live in response to what God's done for us, our lives will bring great glory to God. The generosity that we exude and the love that we give, the effort that we take... To, to reach others with the message of the gospel so that God can be glorified. He'll set His sights against it. And His desire is to discourage us and to get us to do what I've come to call the taking back. That's my phrase. And I'm confessing to you right now that I have that phrase because I recognize it in myself. Like in that night, that night at Christian Life Home, in that bed, I was like, God, I don't know. I told you I would do this, but now I'm not so sure. I might have to take this back. And that wasn't the hardest season of my Christian life. In walking and following Christ, there's been some blows. There's been some times where I poured myself out thinking I'm doing the right thing, thinking God's going to bless this and honor it. And, and, and sometimes it ends up in a lot of hurt and pain. And I say, God, I, I gave you... I gave you everything. I, I I thought that, and 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 then I start to think. Well, you know, God, I know I said anytime, anywhere, anyhow. I know I gave you everything, but but I'm not sure I'm really going to trust how you're handling this. And so I'm just gonna I'm gonna take just this little bit. I I know I gave it as a gift, but I'm gonna take this part. And I'm just gonna kind of keep it for myself. You can still have that part. I'll still walk through the rituals. I'll still walk through the things that I know I'm supposed to do, but but. I don't know if I can trust you with everything. I think our hearts can have that tendency. And I think it's important for us at times like Christmas and at times of taking fellowship, the the communion supper, that we honestly look at our hearts and we consider where we're at with Christ. Christ. God, Satan would desire for us to become unfruitful in our Christian lives. And when do we become unfruitful? As soon as we take ourselves off of that altar. As soon as we remove ourselves from, from fully putting ourselves in Christ's hands and allowing Him to use us and, and minister His grace through us, and we begin walking out the Christian life under our own power or with partial control, sort of co-managing with Jesus he wants all of us so paul urges us to generosity paul then sh- shows us that he understands that there are some roadblocks to our generosity and then he gives us our inspiration for generosity the first thing we see in the verses 8 through 12 is this amazing cycle of abundance And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This is an amazing passage. Let your mind just sink into that one for a minute. God is able to make what? All grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency, in all things may have an abundance for every good work. It, 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 it fits that phrase that we use, you can't out-give God. It gives us this picture of this amazing overflow of God's abundance. As we are generous with the resources that God gives us, God sees that, He acknowledges it, and He pours into us an inexhaustible supply of more resources so that we have what we need for ourselves and more to give. It's an amazing passage. And as we go on, we see Him giving this concept of the cyclic giving God pours into your life as you take that gift and His generosity and you cast it and sow it. It causes growth and it causes people to give thanks to God. It causes them to give glory to Him and more people turn to God and turn to Christ. And then they become generous givers. And there's this picture of abundant growth. There's an old saying, there never was a loving that emptied the heart nor a giving that emptied the purse. Proverbs 11.24 says it this way, There's one who scatters yet increases more. There is one who withholds and it leads to poverty. If I give you a watermelon, I love watermelon, as a representative of God's grace, and you take that watermelon, you have the choice of what you do with it. You can take it and eat it or you can just hold it for yourself and eventually it will rot. Or you can take it open and you can take the good fruit out of it and you can also pull the seeds out of it. And you can cast those seeds. Say you take a hundred seeds out of that watermelon and they grow six watermelons apiece, let's say. That's 600 watermelons. And you collect those melons and you enjoy the fruit of it and the abundance of it and you take the seeds, then you've got 60,000 seeds. And if you cast those seeds, you get 360,000 watermelons from which you get 36 million seeds from which you get 210 million watermelons in just four generations. Our God is an abundant God. That's a picture that He's giving here. He's using seeds and sowing and the abundance of harvest. And He says, if you keep it for yourself and you hold it all in and you're not generous, all you'll get is a little bit. But if you take what I give you, it's an abundant supply. It'll keep reproducing and giving you a greater and greater harvest. It's a beautiful picture. That's what God makes available to us. That's the kind of generosity he promises. But we have to appropriate it by faith. Think of the the little boy that was at Jesus' teaching, who had who who was smart enough to bring a lunch. The only one in the whole crowd. And the apostles, the disciples are looking and they're like, where are we going to get enough money to feed people? And Jesus, like, Oh, I'm so concerned about sending them away hungry. And this boy's got his lunch. And I'm thinking of me back in in my pre-Christ days. I'm like, I'm going to sneak off here and eat my lunch. I'm not worrying about anybody else. Or or think logically like we think sometimes. Well, you know, I'm going to eat half of it and then I'll give half of it to Jesus. That way I'm sure at least I'm covered. This young man had the faith to look at Christ and go, you know, I've been listening to Him. I've been watching to Him. There's something about Him. And I think I can trust Him with my very, with all I have. I'm going to give all of it. Just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. What do you have? What do you have to offer Christ? It doesn't have to be much. The key is whether you give Him all of it or not. You give all of it and then He feeds you and He uses that gift to bless others. We have to appropriate it by faith. Brothers and sisters, we should be standing out in the world for our generosity. And then... He goes on to talk about that, that process of just how this whole thing brings glory to God and continues to grow. And he comes to verse 15, and he uses this phrase, which I think is, is an amazing phrase. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. <laughs> it's as if he said, okay, I'm going to challenge you to be giving, I'm going to challenge you to generosity. I'm going to tell you all about what it will look like here uh, on your horizontal relationships of living, just an abundant supply of you giving and getting more and giving and getting more. And then he brings us back to the heart of the matter. He points our eyes to Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift. It's where it always begins and ends for us, at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the indescribable gift that's what we're celebrating this season right a, a, a gift and the word indescribable just it's just like unspeakable it's too vast for words it's unsearchable it's overwhelming we know it we cannot just barely begin to get our minds fully around the the person of Christ and what god has done for us the god of all creation somehow leaving heaven and allowing Himself to be veiled by our humanity, being born in a manger, walking our dusty roads, dying upon a cross for our sins. We could go on and on and on through the Scriptures, the promises that we read, the echoes that we hear about what a gift Christ is to us. Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Galatians 1, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. 1 Timothy 2, six. Christ Jesus who gave Himself a ransom for all. As we heard earlier this morning, Jesus who being rich yet for our sakes became poor so that we might become rich in him. Romans eight thirty two he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? We hear in that passage again that, that assurance that we have. If God gave us the indescribable gift of Christ. Won't He with Him freely give us all we need to fulfill His will, to do that which He's called us to do and to bring Him glory? In Christ, God gives and gives and gives again for us. He's the indescribable gift. You know, as I look at Christ and I see the generosity of God, I look and I recognize that I've got a long way to go. I think all of us do when we honestly look at the person of Christ and what God has done for us and what God's called us to. It should be for all of us. We're not quite there yet. But there's great hope in looking to Christ. God gave us Christ to save us and to sanctify us to turn us from who we were in our selfish ambition grasping for mine to people conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ that's God's desire he's committed to the process as we offer our lives and our hearts fully to him and allow him to have his way I challenged you to consider a purposeful remembrance this Christmas. It's not adequate for us to embrace the truth of God for amusement or mere observation, but the truth of God should change us. In Philippians 2, we're challenged to look to the servant, Jesus Christ, who came to serve and esteemed others better than himself, and we're challenged to likewise esteem others better than ourselves and serve. In Romans 12, we're to look at the one sacrificed for our sins and we're to offer our bodies a living sacrifice in response. In John 13, we're to look at the great lover of souls, Jesus Christ, and we are to love one another likewise. And in this passage in 2 Corinthians, we're to look at the generous giver and likewise give. as you remember Christ this Christmas, I would encourage you to take time from the hustle and bustle and the giving and receiving. And and, and even if in mental imagery, put yourself in Bethlehem, maybe on the hillsides like a shepherd, tending your sheep, doing the activities of life But listening to the call, come and see the king, the one given for you, he's come. And and you walk up that hillside and you make your way into Bethlehem and you find the old beaten down stable and you peer in. And there you see the animals and Joseph and Mary and the God of all creation. Wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. And I would ask you to consider this. What does he deserve? And what gift have you brought? God loves a cheerful giver. Father God, we thank you for this season and what it means to us. As we remember... What you've done for us. What you started and what you accomplished in the person of your son. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our deepest hallelujahs. He's worthy of our very hearts. We pray that as we reflect on him, we would reflect on our own hearts and we would remove any barrier, tear down any walls, confess any sin, recognize any hardness that might exist that keeps us from giving our whole heart to Him. We know what He deserves, and we pray that for each of us it would be a time when we offer it again. God, use us and glorify Yourself through us. Let us be a part of Your abundant generosity that we might bring great glory to You. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen.